everyone. I'm Riyad Alkyol and this is Dignified Resilience, a podcast on fresh narratives on confronting despair, alleviating distress, and forging ahead. In this podcast, we hear from people around the globe at all stages of life and variety of industries and learn how to channel dignified resilience to survive, feed the soul to heal, and connect with others through inspiring compassionate actions and behavior. At the same time, I aim to grow a global conversation that seeks to better acknowledge different sociocultural perspectives on meaningfully weathering life's adversities and achieving well-being. Here is a noble and humane invitation for surpassing our old selves by learning about and from other people's moving forces and limitations for successfully overcoming affliction and ache. Remember, we have different lives, distinct pathways, cultures, and contexts, but we can find common ground in supporting dignified resilience anywhere. So let's go then. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dignified Resilience. It is my great pleasure to welcome Adina Javid in this episode. She is a law graduate, writer, and peace activist living in Glasgow, Scotland, with a particular interest in human rights. She's also Qariya, reciter of the Quran, holy book for Muslims, like myself. And she's working towards reviving the sacred tradition of female Quran recitation. She set up the Female Reciters campaign on social media, raising awareness of Muslim women's voices in this tradition of recitation and then more broadly. I'm truly excited to have her on the podcast today, and we have been planning this since the month of July, but with scheduling, prep, research, and some obligations we both had, we just got together now. I am glad for it though, because I checked and our email thread contains about 40 emails back and forth right now of sharing information and things we both researched, and we deepened our connection and friendship and sisterhood in this bonding process around something we both care about. So I'm actually very grateful for this journey that took a few months and which led to today's realization. I so much admire the resilience with which Medina promotes the dignity of fellow Muslim women towards greater and more just spiritual fulfillment that women deserve and which actually belongs to them. And I'll just add quickly for starters that in some countries, um, around the world that where, where there is a Muslim majority, like Malaysia, Indonesia, Bosnia, where I come from, Turkey here and there, depending on the environment, and in other countries in the Middle East or North Africa, performance for mixed audiences is acceptable behavior for both sexes. And there, women recite in many types of public gatherings. However, in other countries where this is not an accepted social custom, female reciters are heard only by all women audiences. We will unpack all of it today, and there is so much to talk about. So I suggest we dive in. And first of all, I want to welcome Medina. Salam alaikum. And I'll start with how are you, my dear, today? Salam alaikum. I am so delighted, so excited to be here with you. And <laughs> thank you so much for your beautiful introduction. It really touched my heart, and, and I really feel a real connection with you and I really love what you're doing and, and I couldn't have asked for a better person to have a conversation with today. 
Our feelings are mutual. Um, I'm really so excited. And um, I was thinking maybe, what do you think? Should we start our today's conversation with Hayaj, um, as we say, with a short recitation of the Quran uh, of something upon your choice? I would love to start with a recitation from the chapter in Quran, which is called Woman. And I love the verse which asks those who believe to stand firm for justice. And this is something that I really have you have felt very inspired by in my life so and it so i thought it would be perfect to start with absolutely thank you a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem bismillahir rahmanir rahim Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu kunu qawwamina bilqist That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So back to the earthly world. <laughs> I thought like when you finish reciting Quran, there is just such peacefulness and you just, it's just there a nice moment. <laughs> there is nothing like it. Only goosebumps and awe and bewilderment for me. So Medina, Tell us a bit about yourself. How did this campaign come to be? I mean, we do know that over 1,400 years ago in the month of Ramadan, the first verse of the Quran was revealed and it was 
you know, we know from the 96th surah, it was recite, read in the name of your Lord who created you. And ever since then, Muslims have been reading the Quran in these beautiful recitations, which is actually an art form, and we'll talk about it later on. But tell us how did, let's start with your personal story before we get to the general, more broader um, discussion, I guess, or conversation uh, about female reciters of the Quran. I'm from Glasgow, Scotland, and this is where I grew up. And I decided to study law because I had such an interest in justice and human rights. And so I studied at Glasgow Caledonian University and also the University of Glasgow. And at the same time as my educational studies, I also am a community activist. So I'm involved in Andalus Community Hub and Beacon Institute in Glasgow. And there we work towards sharing our rich and diverse Muslim tradition while also embracing our Scottish roots. And the centre was actually set up by my parents who, like aside from their full-time careers, dedicate any and whatever spare time they have to giving back to the community and, and serving the community for a better future. So creating this vibrant, unique, dynamic centre was a way for them to, you know, to create this really lovely space for for a family for the family to come together so it's not just a women only place or a men only place but it's a place for the family to be welcome and to be involved and contribute there wasn't just the mosque aspect but also educational recreational and social so we have a cafe we have a community garden a sports hall um, a community cinema and we do, throughout the years, we've done so many different activities, such as Quran classes, of course. And the important thing is they tried to, they wanted to teach Quran in a way that was a really positive environment. Often, in many places, you know, people grow up learning the Quran, but they, they might not, it might not be a positive atmosphere. Like they might be, you know, they, if they make a mistake, they might not be treated so nicely. And my parents wanted to set up they didn't want to send their ch- their children to somewhere like that, so they wanted to create an alternative and create a place where people could feel the love for the Quran and feel connected with it, but at the same time also be involved in other things such as art classes, outdoor pursuits and activities, festivals and lots of different activities. So my parents were always thinking outside of the box and, and always helping others. And, that, and I was given a lot of freedom growing up in this really positive environment, and I was encouraged to think for myself and also I think become quite think really critically as well and 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 that's sort of how I kind of developed as like a really strong and fiercely independent person because of this environment that I grew up in and I also am a women's rights campaigner and I think this ties in really nicely with my legal studies as well and if you even look at Harvard University there's a quote from the Quran like the one that I recited today about standing firm for justice mm-hmm. and and these themes from the Quran, Quran are, are so, so relevant to our lives today, of course. And yes, yeah, so I launched the female reciters movement to raise awareness, as you mentioned, of women who vocalize the Quran in public and also to encourage more women to share their recitations in an online space. And the reason I've been pushing this movement for so many years is actually to to for the sake of what is truthful and inspired within our rich and diverse Islamic tradition. Of course, of course, and we'll talk about it as well. Are you aware of the campaign with hashtag add a female reciter? 
which was started in 2015 in the United States by Jerusha Tanner Rhodes, who is an associate professor of Islam and interreligious engagement at uh, Union Theological Seminary in New York. Have you heard of it? Um, basically on Ramadan, to tell our listeners, because I want to hear how is that campaign different from yours, or is it different? During our holy month, Muslims read from the Quran each evening during what are called the Tarawih prayers. So uh, in 2015, Dr. Jerusha realized that there were no female reciters then. So that led her to start the campaign uh, as well as an online petition. So, um, and, and then, and I was researching kind of, and, and I read a couple of articles from 2015, which are still very valid today, when she said, basically, uh, religion news service, this is an issue of representation and inclusion. And she said, there is nothing that bars females from reciting the Quran. In fact, it is incumbent on all Muslims to learn it and recite it daily without distinction in gender. But many women do not, don't hear or see people who look or sound like them reciting the Quran. So have you heard of it? Or, and how is it different or is it different than your campaign? I remember growing up when I was reciting Quran and learning the Quran, a lot of my teachers were women from like different places like Qatar and Syria mm -hmm. and as I was growing up I was always interested to hear women reciters and growing up there is lots of websites and Quran apps that are recommended for use of learning and listening to reciters and there's not any women reciters or any Qadiyas there's just all men and it was really beautiful what this Adam Female Reciter campaign highlighted the fact that, for example, we have Maria Ulfa, who has recorded the complete Quran, and she's an expert reciter. So her recitation is of a very, very high standard, and, and we don't see her recitation included. So I fully supported the campaign and the petition, and I remember signing it as, like, I was quite young then as well. It was quite a few years ago. And, and yeah, I, I really Only love that. <laughs> And I think it's still a problem today and it's still valid. And we and I and I think still we don't have Maria Ufa's voice on these Quran apps. And it's just ridiculous because there's no reason to exclude women from that. So I think this campaign was a really amazing way to pave even my movement forward and and also to and I hope that it will thrive and that there it will have a, a positive outcome in the future even if it takes a lot of time I hope that one day we will be seeing Quran apps featuring female reciters so yeah I think and also in America at one of the Islamic conferences there was a woman called Tahira Ahmed and she also recited the Quran at the beginning of one of the conferences and I found that really inspiring because it showed me as well that I can do that too in my community and in our center in Andalus I would often recite the Quran anyway because I was teaching it and learning it you know I was teaching the Quran classes there so I was always used to reciting publicly as a, as a way of teaching for the children so I was I was already quite confident in doing that and then sometimes if we would have like an event like a cinema screening or a gathering I would open it up with a recitation of the Quran as Muslims usually do when we have a gathering we would open it up with a recitation and yeah so it was interesting because sometimes I remember we had a guest speaker come to our center and and do a workshop and then I said oh maybe I should recite Quran at the beginning of this and um, wouldn't that be nice and so I, I recited the Quran, Quran in my community center 
and actually this woman said you know this is not allowed we can't be hearing women reciting Quran beautifully like this and my, I remember my dad just saying coming in and just defending me and saying actually no there's a whole history of of women in our tradition and in our scholarship and at that point I didn't really know I wasn't I didn't really know much about this and it was just the beginning of my journey I think and I also recited at and um, we had a film screening called Blessed Are the Strangers in our community center cinema mm -hmm. and this was a diverse audience of, of different people so there was Muslims and non-Muslims some traditional scholars from the local community but also some other scholars too and I I also opened it up with Surah Hashur, just like Tahir Ahmed opened her recitation with Surah Hashur, the same verses I used. And, and afterwards, it was really beautiful because one of the scholars, he's a convert, and he, I didn't expect this, but he afterwards, when there was no one there, he came up to me and he said, you know, thank you for that, that was really pure. And, and I had never had anyone, any scholar say to me or appreciate or acknowledge what I had, you know, the recitation so I was really really touched by that mm -hmm. but it also showed the difference between you know I think converts don't have that same sort of gender and cultural baggage that a lot of maybe traditional local scholars do so they the other scholars in attendance didn't really say anything about it but I think maybe if it was my brother reciting Quran the reaction might have been different um, or if it was a male reciter so you raise very important points, though. There, you raise a point, I mean, very important point. How there was a woman who actually came up to you and said, "Oh, women cannot do that," and this and that. So it's not. It's a good reminder and a reality check that it's not just necessarily men who might be saying, "Oh, this is not allowed or not." No, this is the kind of. This is precisely the the proof and the testimony of the kind of knowledge that is being transmitted to men and women who then internalize these interpretations as such. So, so all the more important, like you say, to share this knowledge and to say what is said, what is not said, what is a local tradition and culture and what is really in the Quran. So I think before we continue to, to just make some things clear for our listeners, Muslim and non-Muslim, what is behind the idea that uh, some Muslims propagate about a, a woman's voice is that, that would make women not allowed to recite the Quran and part of the reason for the exclusion comes from a specific interpretation of a Quranic verse extolling the wives of the Prophet not to be, quote, soft in speech. So there is the, uh, it's the 32nd ayah of the 33rd surah, and it says, O wives of the Prophet, you are not like any other women. If you are righteous, then do not speak too softly, lest one in whose heart is a disease will move with desire. You shall speak in an honorable manner. And while I was preparing for our podcast, I was researching both this surah and this interpretation. And I found a great explanation. I can share the links of everything because it's online um, on, uh, of literally deconstructing this twisted interpretation into a different thing, basically saying on a website, Quranic Path, it is surprising that such a verse has been turned upside down in such a way to mean something completely different to the true meaning of the verse which is so clear to the genuine non-biased reader of the Quran. If we were to show a non-word-for-word translation based on what we have analyzed, it would be as follows. The same 
imagine the same ayah, the same surah. Wives of the prophets, you are not like any other, you are not like other women. If you're truly righteous, do not yield to them with your words in case the hypocrite man or woman will be tempted to plot, to take advantage or make mischief. Pick well-chosen words when speaking to them. So imagine the nuance and the difference in the interpretation and how important it is and how consequential a literalist interpretation of a holy of a verse from a holy book can be and this is just one occasion there are myriad other cases where this is having really bad consequences for women and men uh, around the world so and and you probably experienced this medina of course we all often hear explanations that some Muslims reject the female Quran reciters because they may distract or sexually arouse men gathered for prayer. Can you tell us a little bit more about it, Medina? So I think what's really, to start with, what is really beautiful that I love about Islam is that women have a direct connection to God. And yeah, so I, I, I think that is just really simple and it's really powerful at the same time. We just have a direct connection to God. It doesn't have to go through anyone else. Yeah. And it's, it's really important that we see women actually engaging with the Quran in different ways, whether it's as a reciter or a scholar or a commentator, because men certainly do not have ownership of the Quran. But often we tend to see that a lot of sciences of Islam, you know, are through the lens of specific or specifically through the lens of male scholars, and sadly, sometimes through female scholars who propagate those male views, and then this vicious cycle sort of continues. So I think it's really important that we not only listen to women reciting the Quran, but it's also it goes much deeper than that. We should actually also be listening to women's perspectives and their point of view, and also listening to what it means for women too. And certainly, I remember when I was looking online to find more female reciters, I saw so many men uploading videos of Quran recitation online. And, and I was wondering, why, why can't I find any women? And I was so passionate about this and because I love the recitation so much and I wanted to listen to more women. So I even, I just actually thought, okay, if I'm doing this and I just, I'll just share like a video and then I came up with the hashtag female reciters and even recently I was coming up with an Arabic hashtag of the equivalent of female reciters and I was discussing with one of my friends so my friend speaks Arabic and I was just consulting with her to to see how I can come up with the Arabic equivalent of hashtag female reciters and I, I had thought that the word qari would be used and then she was saying wouldn't it be qari and I was saying no is, is the feminine not qari and she was just saying actually you know that's right because I all the time just always hear the word Qari, like growing up online and she's more exposed to sort of Arabic online outlets. And and that is interesting that in the terminology of language, there is also a disproportion that people are not as aware of the word Qariya or Qariyat. Yeah, so I think that was also quite telling. And even when you look online and I search female reciters in Arabic or in English, there's not many examples, but if you search up the male equivalent Qari, there's like countless examples. So I think that like really, really showed that there is something missing here and that we need to raise awareness of the examples of women doing it in different parts of the world who are already doing it and just to create like that online space for them to come together so we can we can hear women reciting. And also something really special when I when I created the when I first created the hashtag, I actually came across 
this lady and her name is um, Fazila Selberg Zave. And she used the hashtag female reciters, but at this time it was the early stages of me using the hashtag. And I, I came across her using it and she'd written this really beautiful and powerful post. And it was about Omar Afa. And, and if I'd like to share what she wrote because I found it so powerful and so inspiring. So she said, the Muslim soundtrack is a male one. It has been for as long as I have a memory and for as vastly as I have traveled this world. And that is vast. I scrolled down the list of Quran chapters on Spotify for several minutes to see if a female reciter would pop up, but not a single one showed up. And growing up, I couldn't find a single woman reciting Quran on CDs or tapes, let alone live, unless it was an all-female gathering. Now there are some female reciters entering competitions, and we can only hope they enter our homes as well. And I found her question here so powerful. She said, how did we as a Muslim community decide that women should not be heard reciting in public? What distortion are we consuming when there were women during the time of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, whose Quran recital was so beautiful and so loud it could be heard echoing on the streets for men and women to appreciate and hear. I at times wonder at the spiritual lobotomy that has taken place among us in the last centuries. I pray that God keeps it far away from me in the walls of my home and that we free ourselves of these ungodly chains. So when I read this, I was so inspired and so moved. And this is the first time that I had learned about this woman, Omar Afa. And, and it was so, just the way she, she wrote what she did, it was so powerful and strong. And it really inspired me. And, and that was at the very beginning of, of when I had launched the tag. And there's also another um, female scholar who is born in Germany. And her name is Sheikha Halima Krausen. And she called for for more public awareness many years ago. And she was saying that actually it's women who are doing the real work in communities. And, but in general, women have been hesitant when an issue seems to go against her traditions. So she said that when she suggested that women could recite, maybe do something in public, recite in the Quran, for example, you know, because she was saying public awareness is, is lacking and a lot of girls are actually advised against it, but not often just by men, but by women in their communities, their own mothers. And that's what, um, she Halima Carson was saying, and I think it was really nice when I read that she also said, it's just the people that just go ahead and do it. Once a few people just get started, they set a precedent and it starts the ball rolling. And that's like a really good way of, of working. And I think, you know, I found that so beautiful because the Quran in itself is when you recite it, the Quran is a recited book. So Quran means recitation. And it's, it's always moving and it's flowing and it's dynamic and it's, it's not still. So actually in our lives, we should be actively doing things. I think this is such a beautiful way of thinking about it because so when I had recited at the British Museum, somebody shared a tweet online saying recitation brings movement in a place of status. And I think that is, is also so powerful because the Quran, as I said, it's, it's moving and it's, it's flowing and it changes. It changes us and and we're trying to, our aim is to try to live the Quran and, and to live the Quran, we have to be actively doing things. And if you look at when there is, when people are trying to, to control, there is always like some sort of like stillness and like, cause control is about stillness and no change and resistance and no movement. But actually, if you think about it, the Quran is moving, it's flowing. And, and I reflected on that and I just, I just found that such a beautiful way of thinking about it. And it's really, it's really beautiful because while people are trying to restrict something that is so flowing and, and dynamic mm -hmm. and 
there's also this really, really beautiful quote, which is, which says, Islam was said to be like a crystal river that has no color in its own water, which is life-giving water, but it would take on the colors of the stones over which it flowed. Mm. And I think this really shines a light on the different, the diversity of cultures around the world and also the gender and cultural baggage that has developed. So often women will only recite in female-only gatherings and that's often because of people's cultural upbringing, just what they're used to becoming right for them. So when I myself have traveled around the world and encountered different Muslim communities, I've experienced being treated really differently as a young woman who recites. So in some places I found that actually my presence and my voice was was welcomed and I was encouraged to recite and I was appreciated by women and men. But in other spaces, I was an anomaly and as a female reciter and I've even been shunned by women and men quite often. So I think the key message is, if you think about it, people should really be listening to God's words rather than thinking about gender or color or dress. It's not about the reciter as a person, it's about the meaning of what's being recited and the message. And why are Muslims, you know, really getting distracted by superficial things like gender or dress or race? These are not, we, sh we should be thinking about the really important things, which is the meaning and, and, and thinking about God's words. And yeah, and um, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely ask you uh, about several things in your experiences from different countries as well um, in a bit. I did also, when you were talking, it reminded me of, um, well, I do want to kind of break it up and explain a little bit more and enter into some, not shaky, but important theological points that, that have impacted today's reality as well. And not just theology or interpretations of the of the Quran, but also, like you said, there's a lot of local tradition and local customs as well. But what I thought, what I do want to add is, okay, so now we've said if there's nothing that bars females from reciting the Quran, and the Quran, by the way, let's say has or should have the supreme authority on Islamic belief and practice. I'm not going to get into now the the hadith and everything that some even falsified hadith can brought. Uh, within our practices, but absolutely, like you, you mentioned as well. But the, the differences between early Islamic community and today are quite stark, and we see it in many, many areas of just lived experience. Um, and the status of women begin began to change following the death of the Prophet Muhammad, and that is a topic of its own. And myriad books and articles have written by scholars, male and female, on how that happened. But I do want to mention something, um, a few other pertinent factors and facts, which I was reminded of while preparing for the podcast and reading a book which is currently a bestseller in Turkish in that branch. It's still not published in English, but it's by uh, our my friend and theologian, actually Turkish scholar, Janet Tasleman and Feryal Kalkavan Tasleman, who recently wrote a book together um, named Women in Islam. And while reading it, I was reminded how besides those patriarchal interpretations of some Quranic verses, like we mentioned earlier, one reason why societal perceptions of women, of Muslim women and change is also because of very influential Islamic scholars like Al-Ghazali, who wrote in their book, and I will quote them actually, um, this Turkish scholar who wrote about Ghazali said, 
While Ghazali was a genius, like other philosophers such as Aristotle, who lived hundreds of years before him and who considered women a distorted version of men, he also disparaged women. So according to him, society could survive only by encouraging man's superiority. And he also said that keeping women and men apart was important for the sake of society. And um, in his very famous Ihyao Ulumiddin, Ghazali, who is, again, one of the most prominent um, Islamic scholars with many contributions, described the duties of a Muslim woman in a way, literally, and from this book I'm quoting, she should live in the deeper recesses of her home. She should not leave her spindle from her hand. She should not come and go from her house too frequently. She should limit conversations with her neighbors and should visit them only when necessary, etc., etc. She should refrain from making her voice heard and from revealing herself to a stranger. She should conceal her presence from someone she thinks knows her or from someone she thinks she knows, etc., etc. So as John R. Tasleman writes in this book, identifying Ghazali's views with Islam has likely damaged more women than those of other misogynistic uh, philosophers or scholars. So, and by the way, it's not like all male scholars of the time had this perceptions of women. There is Ibn Rushd, like Islamic theologian, like Averroes, who supported the education of women at the time on the basis that they're intellectually equal to men. And if they're not, they would be a burden to society and cause poverty, which is also written in this book. What I'm trying to get at, and to add to this, I would warmly recommend uh, to everybody to read the book written by scholar, um, American scholar Zahra Ayubi, called, I don't know, have you heard about it? The book is called Gendered Morality, Classical Islamic Ethics of the Self, Family, and Society, and it was published last year. It's really good and so important because she examines three foundational classical akhlaq texts by Al-Ghazali, Nasir ad-Din Tusi, and Jalal ad-Din Dalani. And she writes in the book, and look, look uh, this was a, just one quote out of a thousand that I put out. Uh, she says, in the conclusion, I have argued that the ethicist metaphysics and their virtue ethics are both hierarchical and contradict their own overarching goal of akhlaq, which is to create the visigerency of God that in turn facilitates conditions of human happiness and fulfillment of human's cosmic purpose. And then she, of course, because she says that women as a class are construed as merely instrumental to elite men's ethical endeavors, which are to order the nafs and achieve visigerency or as hilafa. So in this book, she calls for a philosophical turn in the study of gender of Islam in order to kind of grapple with such issues and proposes some ways to think about them in terms of moving forward. So long story short, we kind of have, and there is then colonialism afterwards, which made a lot of different fatwas in Egypt, et cetera, we might mention it or not later on. There are different pieces of puzzle that have been kind of put together here and there throughout history that are what I want to emphasize, not in the Quran which should be the superior authority for us Muslims. And that is why I am, um, wh why I am both surprised by, but also not by everything that's continuing to happen because it's just a manifestation of 
archaic interpretations and misogynistic remnants. But let's let's also add to this something that you wrote to me in one of our correspondences, which I thought was so important, and I want to uh, talk about it. You said you went to an interfaith event recently, and you had an interaction with, I believe it was a Jewish woman, who told you about similar occurrences in, in within their tradition and communities. Can you tell us a little bit more about it so that we can broaden it up and make it known that the more we talk about it, it seems obvious that it's currently we're talking about Muslims and uh, things within Islamic traditions, but it's much broader than that, right? And goes beyond just Islam. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal experience in this sense from interactions with other non-Muslims? I've been invited to do a lot of different interfaith events to recite Quran and, and also engage in dialogue with people of different faiths. And actually, when explaining the reasons why women have been restricted, um, it's been interesting because, for example, when I did, a, a Jewish lady was saying, actually, that's the same thing in our tradition. Women are also prevented from doing this because apparently their voice is, is going to be distracting or it's too attractive or, you know, so they have these, these, the same sort of narrative that is used. This sort of argument is very objectifying and... And we need to remember our history and, and, and the Muslim tradition There's and biographical dictionaries. There are so many Muslim women jurists, scholars who, who taught men and actually used their voices. And, you know, and I think we need to, to get away from this objectification and actually start to appreciate the meanings and, and the wisdoms behind what is being conveyed as opposed to targeting the person. The Quran in itself, is, when you recite the Quran, it's an act of charity. Why do we want to prevent people from, from listening to something good that's going to bring blessings? And why do you want to restrict from someone from, from bringing people to success and into goodness? So I think certainly we need to be having um, some consideration. And also this matter isn't isolated to the Muslim tradition, as you mentioned like even in other Abrahamic faiths there has been this notion that a woman's voice shouldn't be heard women should be secluded they shouldn't be seen they shouldn't be heard and actually this is not something that comes from our faith but it's actually you know it's coming from patriarchy misogyny and and also and we need we need to really be working together as women in solidarity with each other to be looking at these issues and actually to be to be finding our voices and to be using them. And that's part of the female reciters movement it is to encourage women to, to do that, to reclaim their voices. So this isn't something new. Women have been reciting the Quran for, for so long. If you go to other countries and you'll, you will hear women reciting. And we even know the examples of Umar and also another example of, in the time of the prophet, the prophet heard um, a woman reciting from Surah Al-Ghashiyah and he didn't stop her so we really need to be to be thinking about these things and also and if we think about like today's society as well like I live in Scotland so <laughs> it's the culture and society also you know has an impact on on my upbringing and what I'm used to so I'm used to taking like such an active role in society and having my voice heard and and being given space to speak but I think maybe in some other cultures I went I remember when I went to Yemen when I was younger oftentimes 
women would be quite secluded and, and they wouldn't be seen, you know, and it's just part of their culture. So maybe. So, but it, absolutely what you mentioned also reminded me again, when I read it in, in that email, when you share that uh, about, it reminded me of a book that I read a couple of years back. So I went back online, found it, and I looked some parts of it um, that talks about similar conversations within Christianity as well. Um, and it was a book that was entitled Jesus Feminist, uh, written by a prominent now a Christian uh, female scholar, a scholar, Sarah Bessie. And in that book, the author reminds her readers of some verses from the letters of Paul, which literally say in the Corinthians 14, 34, 35, it is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. And then another verse that she cites from Timothy 2, 11, 12, saying women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. So she is, she is using those and she was kind of describing similar things, basically saying, she writes, I quote, as women, we often hear this mandate to be submissive, to be silent in the context of our souls being crushed in big and small ways. And the arc of our interpretations have real hurtful and sometimes dangerous implications. And then she goes on and she's talking about the context of those verses, what is in interpretation, and basically kind of just saying something that you mentioned as well. Uh, she writes, when women are restricted from the service of God in any capacity, the church is mistakenly allowing an imperfect male-dominated ancient culture to drive our understanding and practice of Christ's redeeming work instead of Jesus Christ in the whole of scriptures. It is crucial that we understand Paul's overall perspectives on the role and place of women, as well as the specific context within which he wrote these particular portions of his letters. I mean, we're talking here about a different faith, but like you say, there is a pattern. There is obviously a clear pattern and the similar conversations that have been going on within different religious communities as well. And let's mention that it's also patriarchy exists in communities that are not just religious as well. This is just a, a manifestation of it because it's very powerful. And as again, we don't even have something like this in the Quran. So I just wanted to show kind of uh, a variety, and this is just a glimpse of different influences within different religions, but with some um, absolutely interpretational patterns that are patriarchal and limiting of women for their really, like you mentioned, just spiritual fulfillment, goodness. I mean, what are we, what are we taking off from somebody by just demanding something that belongs to us and that is given by God. So there's a lot of just, just, I mean, yes, okay, sometimes it's anger or something, but honestly, this is profoundly saddening to me. It's always so saddening. And it's something that it's how much zulm, how much injustice we Muslims do to each other or how much male-oriented interpretations that have been formed in those important times continue to be prevalent. But I am confident, and we'll talk about it more about, uh, like we said before, about connecting with each other and sharing these good messages and showing basically that this is not, that this is something that is part of our religion and part of our faith. So 
Tell us then, because we mentioned earlier on that this is, tell us what is Tajweed and uh, who recites the Quran, because it truly is an art form. And uh, who are you working with or, uh, and are you working on continuously perfecting it? Do you have a special teacher, etc.? Tell us a little bit more about Tajweed. I just want to add one comment to what you said as well. Oh, so I really love, you know, in the Quran, it gives actually examples of women, you know, using their voices. And actually, I love, you know, the verse in the Quran where it says, men and women should be protecting friends of one another. And I think that is so lovely. And, and because they're allies protecting friends of one another. So even like, we shouldn't be thinking lowly of each other, but we should even just be trying to be dignified people. And also, actually, the objectification can go both ways. So women can be objectified, but also so can men. Attraction, this argument about attraction is just, it's not one-sided. That's as if, like, women, you know, as if women can't be attracted to men either. And that's, you you can, like, argue that because it's, it's just not realistic. So even if, I think the thing is, it's like a woman should not curb her piety and also in a space where you have something so pure and sacred our consideration is not our consideration is actually on purity and sincerity and the meaning and just connecting to that as opposed to other like superficial matters on, on gender especially when I, I remember when I recited Quran in the cathedral in St Mary's Cathedral and it was I didn't know how the Christians would you know respond to it because maybe because they hadn't probably heard a recitation before, and it's, it's quite still quite new to people in, in the West because it's it's not been heard here. I think we've often they've often probably heard men reciting the Quran, but not women. And and actually, a lot of people have commented saying that it's it's really special to hear women reciting Quran. And actually, it's so symbolic. You don't have to say anything. It just it shows like a woman connecting with God and and reciting so powerfully and so strongly. And it's it has so much symbolism in it because. I think it just oftentimes Muslim women are defined in the media and defined in such negative ways, but often we don't hear from Muslim women themselves. But when you see a Muslim woman reciting Quran, you can see the love that she has for it. And when I shared videos of women reciting Quran in Bosnia when I was in the women's mosque, you know, people said these women look so they look so connected, so like strong and confident. It really, I think it's really a powerful message to see that so I just wanted to mention that and then also another thing I wanted to mention was when I did recite the Quran in a cathedral the comments I want to just talk about the comments that I was getting from Muslims because I think it's important to look at the difference yeah people have this baggage of gender and so and culture so basically when I I recited Quran in the cathedral and I, I my dad sort of was recording it and it was such a beautiful event and it, the recitation was just a small part of the ceremony and I heard the Christian hymns and the service so it was really lovely and afterwards a lot of the congregation came up to me and, and really thanked me for sharing the recitation of Quran it was the first time they had heard a woman reciting and and I didn't realize like anyone would want to thank, thank me or to express appreciation or acknowledgement and they were saying things that were so beautiful I didn't even expect some people were saying that they felt angels that they were so touched that they had tears in their eyes and and they really connected with it and because it was such a beautiful occasion I shared a video online and obviously when you have online you have a wider audience you still have like a lot of detractors a lot of supporters but it reaches a lot of different people and 
it's just interesting to observe the comments coming in from Muslims and how a lot of them were commenting things like, why are you wearing shoes? You know, why are you reciting in a church? Why are you reciting Quran? You're mocking my deen. And it's just really troubling to think about, you know, they're thinking about really superficial things. But actually, the if you compare it to what the other people are saying, you can see that the other people really see the purity and sincerity and the meaning coming through. So I just think that's like a really important thing to highlight, just the way different people respond to it. The recitation of the Quran in itself, there's a whole science to it. And this is called Tajweed. And this is to do with making your recitation better. So reciting the Quran is something that all Muslims will learn how to do from a young age because we have to recite the Quran in our worship. So actually everyone, I always say like, all women are female reciters. All women recite the Quran because everyone recites the Quran. It's just, and in some cases, in public gatherings, often it will just be men that are hard reciting the Quran. So young people, when they're younger, they will learn Tajweed and they will learn how to recite. So it's actually a really detailed science and it's a real skill. And I love to compare it to maybe like learning to play a musical instrument or something like that when I was younger. In school, in primary school, we learned to play the recorder. And, you know, to do that, it requires a lot of practice and skills and in terms of reading it. So in Tajweed, like each letter has different characteristics and different, there's different lengths, different timings. There's so much to take consideration for. And, and, it, and it requires a lot of practice. You have to give like a lot of time in your life to, to develop that skill, just like with any other skill. The more you practice it, the better that you get at it. And I started off by learning because in our community center started off by learning and then because I was teaching it so much, I think teaching is the best way of learning. And that really strengthened my skills because I was practicing and reciting it a lot. And then I also um, recited the Quran to an examiner who is in Syria and she listens to me reciting. I'm still working on the memorization for Ijaza and I'm also still trying to develop and still become better. There's always, I'm still a beginner and I'm still learning and Yes, yeah, so I'm just sharing my journey. Yeah, so everyone everyone can recite, but different people will have different proficiencies. And having an online campaign, you're going to have people from different parts of the world. Maybe some people haven't been able to have a good teacher. Maybe people haven't learned correctly how to recite the Quran. But I, I think it's really beautiful how in our tradition, in the Muslim tradition, there's a teaching that the person who recites the Quran and they make a mistake or they recite something incorrectly, they actually get double the reward of the person who recites it like proficiently so I think that just shows that the Quran is for everyone and I think women and people who are learning the Quran should be kind to themselves and and just give yourself a bit of time to make it a part of your life and and really connect with it and it just shows that it, it really doesn't matter but I think I think the the recitation we recite it we have the tajweed to make sure we're reciting it correctly so if we, for example, pronounce something wrong, it might change the meaning. So that's why it's really important that we that we have it so that the Quran is recited exactly the same as it was in the time of the Prophet. And of course, actually, the Quran was an oral tradition. So people were learning it and memorizing it in that way. And then the Tajweed sort of rules came a bit later so that people could recite. Yeah. Uh, you Again, you mentioned so many important things. I mean, just about the different kind of implications for and, and literally just sad results that are coming out of this 
claims about Muslim women in terms of the consequences for their leadership and power in today's world as well. But besides that, also, when you were talking about how it's almost how, how beautiful and important it is to listen to the Quran. While I was preparing for this episode, I found so many articles and I, I told you about it that I kind of knew, but then to read it from a scientific point of view made it even more salient. Um, I quite a, quite a few articles, for example, about the efficacy of Surah Al-Rahman in managing depression of Muslim women. This is an article that was published in Journal of Religious Health in 2019, so quite re- recent, by Rafi Arabik Afian Jum and Shazal Shazdi Rahim. And basically what they were talking about in the article is they say Surah Al-Rahman is the most rhythmic surah of the Quran, so it was used for their experimental study. And the idea of the study was drawn from the premise that music therapy helps reduce depression. So they were going to kind of check the efficacy of this surah for managing depression in Muslim women uh, admitted for treatment of major depressive disorder in a psychiatry ward of a government hospital. So basically they did experiment with two groups. Then they listened to 22 minutes uh, two times a day uh, within a period of four weeks. And they were listening to Surah Ar-Rahman recited by Kari Abdul Basit and the results showed that both groups had decreased level of depression. One was listening to Quran, the other one was listening to kind of just relaxing music. But the one group that listened to the Quran using medical names of the tests I have no, uh, I'm not familiar with, showed that the group, the treatment group that was listening to the Quran had significantly greater decrease than the control group on depression. So listening to the Quran helped these Muslim women patients. And I was just wondering, goodness, why don't we allow them the choice of maybe even listening to a female karia? Why are we not allowing maybe, in this, we're talking even about health. Then I found another article similarly proving the thing. It was done in 2010 in Iran, but it's online about women before C-section listening to the Quran and how much it helped them as well. So then I was thinking, good. I mean, We're talking even about health. It's wonderful. I know it soothes me. But why are we, again, not allowing the option and possibility of having female reciters in a way that maybe some women as patients, not to even speak about men, here I'm speaking about women, but maybe even men, might respond better in terms of connecting, in terms of just a voice that might work with their psyche better in ways that we can understand or not. And it was just amazing for me to keep reading these medical uh, kind of scientific articles so that we know that listening to the Quran, yes, like you said, is a sunnah. It's an act of piety in our religion as well. But here we have also, we're restricting potentially even patients of different uh, medical conditions in terms of their access to better healing. So if you want some practical and more practical ways and necessities, I couldn't find a more salient and important one. And who knows, this is just for depression and for C-section for many other diseases and patients as well. So it's important that technology now allows us and thanks to people like you who are calling and inviting more female reciters to do it and to make it available. So uh, now 
the scholars who are doing these experiments can maybe try if they if this ever reaches them if our podcast ever reaches some medical students ears uh, who happen to want to do these experiments just kind of another practical reason of the consequences and the potential implications the results of which we are not even aware because we are not allowing it as a part of that treatment as well. So it was really while preparing for this episode, it was really a, a huge discovery process for me as well in terms of expanding my own knowledge and understanding how important this your movement is. At this point, I invite you to join me and Medina in the second part of our conversation, which will be released and published as a separate podcast episode. Stay tuned and hope to see you soon.